If you're the only one in your book club who wants to read books that will change your life, you need a new book club. And we think you found it. I'm Heather. And I'm Susan. And can we be the first to say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. Well, maybe you're as happy as I am that we are finished with those stranger conversations. I liked those. I don't know. They got a little weird for me. And the doom and gloom. I know. But I love meeting angels. I would love meeting angels. I mean, I've never met one, but I would love it. Uh, Yes, you're right. It would be fun to meet an angel, but I don't like seeing whole peoples destroyed. Yeah, that was tough. So... That was sad, but we are moving on now. And uh, where we left off in our story, Lot and his daughters, who actually did make it out of Sodom, they're living in a cave and some strange things are still happening there. Mm-hmm. But we're going to move on to our heroine. Correct. Because Lot is going to be no more. We're not going to hear from him. Our hero, not our hero. Hero. He's a hero. It's a guy, Abraham. And and today, I'm afraid he's not going to look great in part of this because w- w- I called this one Lies, Allies, and Isaac. So So we're going to start just to set up that. Remember, our hero, Abraham, is often on that roller coaster that many of us are on, that roller coaster of being very faithful and kind of having these epiphany high moments where we do the right thing and God says, well done. And then these kind of lows where we fall into, you know, maybe not doing what God wanted. But the great thing about our hero is he's the comeback man and he will come back. And we know in the New Testament, he is accredited with righteousness. So he fought that hard battle and he's going to continue to do that. And that's the great thing about following Jesus in general is that you can come back. It's okay to make a mistake. And as long as the posture of your heart is right, then God will still use you. Exactly. And that's why I love Old Testament characters because we get an example of pretty much every mistake you can make (laughs) somewhere in there. So this week he is going to fall short and slips down with an old lie. Scene one, Abraham tells a lie, starting in chapter 20, verse one. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while, he stayed in Gerar, which is just south of Jerusalem. And there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Wait, what? Again? He, he just didn't learn his lesson. <laughs> the poor wife man. lie number two. The first time, remember, was in Genesis 12, verse 10. So a long time ago. And, and in that chapter, read it, Heather. What did he what did he do? When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know well that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared on your account. So we know from this chapter why he did it. He was fearing for his life. The first time Abraham lied about Sarah, it resulted, it was in Egypt with Pharaoh and it resulted in plagues. Pharaoh's fury and separation with Lot over livestock that then we just read last chapter resulted and Lot just not having the faith that he needed to have. So again, these little lies kind of spiral out and have an impact far beyond Abraham. But here he does it again. So you would think, thinking about what just happened with Lot, he wouldn't tell the same lie, but maybe he just never made the connection. And that's a point to us. Do we make connections between our mistakes? This time, the risk 
seemed so much greater to me. The angels had just been there and told him the baby would arrive within a year. Now, I know they didn't have a lot of medical science back then, but that has to mean to him, uh, hello, every baby is born nine months after conception. So conception was imminent. What was he thinking telling a king that this is my sister, knowing that if you tell a king that he takes her and then he was risking that Sarah would get pregnant from this king and not from him, which again would have messed up the whole thing. He would have had to wait even more years. So I really don't know what he was thinking. The other thing when I, that I thought of when I read this is if I were Sarah, I would be literally crushed. In Genesis 14, remember when Lot was in danger the first time before Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham fought and defeated five kings to rescue Lot. Most of the commentaries say that in the verse you just read, where it said, she is my sister, then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for her, Sarah and took her. Most of the commentaries say that the phrase took her meant it was by force. Why would Abraham let one king take Sarah when he wouldn't let five kings take Lot? No attempt to save her. If I were Sarah, if I were his wife, I'd be like, crush, what am I, chop liver? You go after Lot, but you won't come after me. Well, plus, why are you so embarrassed to be my my husband that you keep <laughs> telling people I don't belong to you? That's what I was saying. It's like those dates. Have you ever had a friend date someone who says, yeah, we're dating, but the guy never really acknowledges it. Like he's waiting for a better opportunity. So he doesn't tell his friends they're dating. That's what this is like. I'm married to Sarah, but I'm not going to tell anybody. It's crazy. It's crazy. The other thing I thought um, is this though. This is what I love about Abraham. He is an available man. He's not perfect, but he's always available for God. And here we see, this is why we love him. He's not perfect. The Bible doesn't have perfect heroes, just good examples of humans perpetually struggling for upward progress. And our hero does great things. And then he messes up like this and really silly things that we think, okay, you're not afraid of all these other kings, but you're afraid of one guy. What's going on? But I wonder if he was like drunk one night and they took her out, out from under him and he didn't even realize it. Maybe it was like a lapse in judgment. I don't think so. You're making excuses for him. Aww, poor All right, Abraham. scene two. Abimelech becomes an ally. So a little bit different. The same Abimelech that just took Sarah is going to become an ally. Instead of Pharaoh, who mm -hmm. then exiled him. All right. Verse three. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now, Abimelech had not gone near her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife for he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, 
they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So some fears never leave us. And in this case, this is a little Achilles heel for Abraham. If we compare the first and second time that Abraham lied about Sarah, you know, this one with Genesis 12, we have different countries, Egypt and Philistia. Uh, We have different kings, Pharaoh and Abimelech. We have different times, 24 years apart. And, you know, kudos to Sarah. The woman never ages. She's still beautiful and still being stolen by kings. I don't know what's going on there, but I want a piece of that. (laughs) Um, different outcomes. Pharaoh gets plagues. Abimelech gets an intervention from God and a dream that then we see Abimelech embrace and really become a fan. Uh, So super cool there. Different relationships. Pharaoh becomes an enemy, Abimelech an ally. So a little bit different. Thank goodness once again for God for intervening and giving him that chat, Abimelech that chat. There is a pattern to Abraham's sin and it begins in fear. And I think we need to kind of self-evaluate when we look at Abraham and that because we all have fears and the enemy knows them. He knows us better than ourselves. So the sooner we learn our fears, the better we can combat the enemy. He assumed the worst about Abimelech and Pharaoh that they would kill him. So he start, his fear started with, you know, assuming that they would do that. And again, he feared for himself versus, you know, trusting God for his his life. He had this promise. He had all these conversations with God. God said he was going to become a great nation. So why in the world would he think a king would kill him? He's got a promise from God. And then he defaulted to this past commitment from Sarah to cover him. Well, I know she'll cover me. So this is the easy way out because we have this we had this deal when we got married and it's it was just easy abraham was so very courageous in many ways and yet in this one way he was super cowardly this is a pattern that repeats in many great bible characters like david and peter and therefore we really need to ponder it ourselves and and understand our own fears like i said so we can combat the enemy i love just that god intervenes and saves again he remember he intervened and saved Noah. Abraham and Sarah, he saved them from Pharaoh. He saved Lot from Sodom. He intervenes here again for Abraham and Sarah with Abimelech. He's going to intervene with Isaac in the ram, the sacrifice of the ram. We're going to get to that. He's going to intervene uh, with Jacob's family in the famine through Joseph. And he's going to intervene in Exodus, which we hope to get to soon, (laughs) one day, next year, maybe. If Susan will start moving us through these chapters. I know if I talk a little faster. I'm working on it. With Israel's and then all throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, God constantly intervenes and God knows when we're going to make mistakes and he intervenes and we got to be thankful for that. And again, remember to be thankful. Like, Mm -hmm. thank you, Lord. I know you saved me. He still intervenes and is saving today. His perfect intervention is Jesus. Jesus intervenes and saved us by dying on the cross. So if we're looking for the intervention of all interventions, you've already received it. It was Jesus' death on the cross. All right. uh, Verse 14. 
Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. I love how Abraham always comes out of of these ahead, just like with Pharaoh. He comes out (laughs) with more stuff. He just made money on the deal. It's just like, gosh, man, he had the the Midas touch. But because of God's intervention in the dream, Abraham's lie gave Abimelech the faith in God he needed to become an ally. And it seems like she must have been in there a really long time because if, if it was long enough for them to know that the women were being kept from having children yeah it must have not been just a short period of time but it couldn't have been more than three months because remember the angel said you're gonna have a baby within a year so he's got to get Sarah out pretty quick if he's gonna conceive (laughs) and deliver her before the end of the year good um but you know hey in a population of people if no one has a baby i don't know no one gets pregnant all right scene three finally finally the promise is delivered sarah is gonna have her day in the sun finally Chapter 21, verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now this next laughter is real laughter on Sarah's part. As opposed to the laughter that she did when the angels heard (laughs) her laughing. Ha ha ha. Do you really think I'm going to have a baby? Right. All right. Verse six, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. All right. Point of interest. Sarah was blessed with a son for finally believing her future descendant. Mary was blessed for believing also. So I want to read this little part from Luke. I'll let you read it, Heather, because your voice is so much better. But Luke 1, 30, 38. So jump to the New Testament. We have this other woman who is going to provide just this this promised seed uh, very much like Sarah in a difficult situation. Verse 30, or Luke chapter Chapter 1, verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him his throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the the sixth month with her who was called barren 
for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So I love these two women because they're they're very different, but they're in some ways similar. Sarah was very old and had to wait a really, really long time. And on the other hand, Mary was very, very young and really couldn't even understand everything that was going on. She wasn't even married yet. Both were visited by an angel and and both had very different responses, which is kind of funny. Sarah was kind of like, ha ha, yeah, right. And Mary was super submissive and was just like, Ask what a, question. whatever your will is. Yeah, how yeah. will this be? Yeah. But that's the next thing. Both questioned the impossibility. You know, I love this because like Abraham, I loved it when he questioned. It's okay to it's question okay God. To we question. learned that a couple episodes ago. Yeah, you don't have to feel guilty about it because of course, here's this young girl like, how can that happen? this happen? I'm a virgin. And Sarah was like, how can this happen? I'm past menopause. You know, <laughs> This is impossible. Both were told nothing is impossible with God. Or in the case of uh, Sarah was told, is anything too hard for the Lord? I think that's something we often forget that nothing is impossible with God. Well, for Sarah, all is well until it is not. <laughs> Back to Genesis now. Back to Genesis. We are in verse eight. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. All right. A very kind of unfair moment we're going to have here. But at the same time, I do understand why God did what he did. And maybe Sarah was right in what she said. Maybe she didn't say it with the tone. You just read it. I've always read it that way in my head. Oh, you think but she God wasn't saying But God does it like... back her up. So Sarah has an overprojective kind of mama bear moment. I've read a lot of commentaries in this and they think, you know, probably, again, this is a big celebration for Isaac, he's being weaned and um, all the attention is going to him. But you have to remember, Ishmael had all the attention for Mm -hmm. what, 13 years before that. So Ishmael may have gotten a little mean, you know, all of a sudden he's not the center, the apple of dad's eye. And he may have, that's kind of a tough age anyway. He may have been ugly and Mm -hmm. it may have- It says he was mocking. Right. He was mocking and Sarah may, in her mama bear moment, you know, remember, let's have some empathy for Sarah. She has this baby in her 90s. She's been waiting decades for this. This is the only baby she's ever going to have. So you better believe she watched over this baby like a hawk Mm -hmm. and baby weaned. She may have been three here. You know, they nursed a lot longer, but I understand why she was protective. I, at the same time, also understand why this is a really hurtful thing for Hagar and for Ishmael. The poor kid is all of a sudden um, about to be sent away. So read verse 11 for us. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. So sensitive Abraham receives word that it's going to be okay. God promises it's going to be okay. And he obeys. And I think we know Abraham has a tender heart. It was really hard for him, Uh, but he did it. All right. Scene four. It's a sad scene. Ishmael departs. Yeah. And I'll tell you what about this. It's hard when these are our kids, right? Mm. If I think about when my 
my kids are fighting maybe or something like that. And, and there are certain times when my husband and I don't always agree on what's the consequence for one of them to do something. I could not imagine being Abraham and having my spouse tell me, you know, get that kid out of here. Mm-hmm. And that would be a really, a really big struggle. Oh, did you, I love Meryl Streep. One of her first movies was Sophie's Choice. If you have never watched, wanted to watch a never gut, gut-wrenching movie. She plays a woman who is being sent to a concentration camp and she has two little children and the German officer, like they get off the train to go into the camp and the German officer, you don't know what he's saying because it's in German and they don't put in the English words there. He's just in her face, yelling at her and these dogs, German shepherds barking and you can see the panic in her face, but you, it was so genius that you can't, they didn't do it in English because you just have to read their expressions and all of a sudden she just thrusts one of the children into his hands and he was telling her she had to choose. Oh. And oh yeah, I'm getting goosebumps. I could never watch it again because then her whole life plays <laughs> forward in this turmoil of that choice and what it does to her. So it's, yeah, I can't I imagine make that Abraham choice. doing this. I do say that, you know, Abraham had God telling him what to do. If I had God telling me or an angel, I think everything would be easier. You well, know? you God, do. Just I get know, in your I know, word. But like like literally in front of my face. And then I'd always remember, oh yeah, God told me to do that. It's on him. <laughs> <laughs> it's all on him. <laughs> he keeps his promises, Susan. Exactly. Verse 14. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He sent them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. All right. So just my little take on this sweet, sad desert scene. And Hagar's always in the desert. Remember, she was in the desert before. And one of the verses we chose is, I have now seen the one who sees me. And didn't God tell her at that time to go back because she was pregnant and that her son was going to be the father of many nations. So really, when she's worried about the child dying, to your point before, God told her. God told her. But remember, good point. In your comparison, in the last desert scene, God told her to go back. And in this desert scene, he's telling her, move on. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make him a great nation too. Because remember, she's been living in this household where she knows Abraham's going to become a great nation through his son. And in the back of her mind, she's thinking, well, as long as Sarah doesn't have a son, that, that son is Ishmael mm-hmm. because we got a son here. And and so she probably harbored in her heart that he was going to be a great nation. And it's almost like God sees her here and he goes, he's going to be a great nation too. Mm-hmm. Yep. It is a little bit drama filled when you think this departure, when you think of the ups and downs, because A, you have Abraham. Abraham, who obeys in this difficult, difficult, tense thing that wasn't easy for him. He's literally sending his young teenage child out into the desert with what, a knapsack? I don't know. It's a rough area. Uh, And then, you know, he had to trust that God would 
would do the right thing with him. Then you have Hagar despairing in verse 15. She's forgotten what God promised her a long time ago, like you said. And even though this is her second appearance to her, God's second appearance to her, you know, she still doesn't, I'm going to get to what she does in a minute. But if I had had two theophanies, a theophany is an appearance of God. I think I'd be sold out. She takes a little bit different tact here. So again, she despairs. And even though God meets her, she doesn't totally rebound. Then you have Ishmael crying. He's young and he's rightly scared. You have God who's comforting her. Then God provides this well, like, okay, I'm not only going to make him a great nation, but I'm going to give you water to drink right now. And then Hagar, and this is what I want, one little kind of disappointed interpretation of Hagar. In some way, I think it's a little rebellious that having lived with Abraham, knowing God intimately, having those theophanies, she chooses an Egyptian wife for Ishmael. But she's an Egyptian. So that's she's why. She's an Egyptian, but she hasn't lived with them for years. She's come to know God and it's not the God of Egyptians. So you would have thought if she didn't harbor any bitterness, she would have said, I still love God. He still saved me. He's going to make you a great nation. I'm going to get him a believing wife. But she doesn't. She slips back. Even though she's seen God, she slips back knowing that if she gets an Egyptian wife, it is going to probably impact Mm -hmm. his faith. So that's my only little disappointment about her. This is the second, I want to point out, of four sibling rivalries we will study in Genesis alone. We had Cain and Abel. Now we have Isaac and Ishmael. We're going to get Jacob and Esau. And then we're going to get Joseph and his brothers. And then the the rivalry of the people of Isaac and the people of Ishmael continues today, today. So this rivalry that we just talked about is still going on today because Abraham, I think I've mentioned this before in, in a past Um, episode, Abraham becomes the patriarch of the three largest religions through Isaac and Ishmael. The Jews and the Christians are descendants of Isaac. The followers of Islam or Muslims are descendants of Ishmael. And that's the fulfillment of God's promise that both of them would be great nations. Exactly. Both of them become great nations. He keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. What does he promise you? Mm -hmm. He's going to keep his promise. But when we talk about conflict, when you think that this all started because Sarah said, oh, I can't have a child here. Have my servant and I'll raise her child. Right. And she and put now that into motion. That was the beginning of the conflict between the Jews and the Arabs that we face today. Ishmael and Isaac become the patriarchs of families, tribes and nations that didn't get along in biblical times and do not get along now. Like I said, Ishmael becomes the patriarch of the first of the, and the first of the Bedouin tribes. And then they became the Arab people. The story in Genesis and how this happens. So just so you know, this very story in Genesis gets reinterpreted in the Quran. So, you know, the Quran is kind of the book of the Muslims. the Muslims. In the Quran, instead of sending Ishmael into the desert to die, Abraham takes him to Mecca. Which is what the Muslims are supposed to do once a year, go to Mecca right. to pray. In Saudi Arabia, and it's the holiest site in Islam. And make sure, so Abraham takes Ishmael to Mecca and make sure he is settled there before returning home. Ishmael grows up to be a 
good Arab, just like Isaac grows up to be a good Jew. So, so are the, you saying that the account of this exact same story in is just slightly twisted? Their in the faith is not the same. It's just different. Abraham doesn't reject Ishmael. He takes him to Mecca. Mm-hmm. Isaac. So then continuing that Isaac gets the land of Canaan and his father's promise, which results in his becoming a patriarch of the people of Israel. Ishmael is expelled from the land, but he's not expelled from the love and paternity of Abraham or favor from God. So this is according to the Quran. This is how the Muslims see it. He becomes like Abraham, the father of a nation. From that nation, we get Muhammad born in Mecca around 570. His revelations are transcribed into the Quran, the holy book of the, for Muslims. From their perspective, the trauma of being cast out is non-existent. Well, do you think that Abraham really was rejecting him or do you think he was just following what God was telling him to do and 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 God was saying it's time for them to move on, like you said earlier, and God will do that when it, when it's, there are seasons in life and God will say, okay, this season is over and it's time for that next season. He, maybe he wasn't just maybe fully rejecting him. Maybe he was just sending them on their way because God told him this is the next season. Yeah. I mean, rejecting as a father, he wasn't rejecting him as a son, but he was rejecting him as the son through whom God would build this great nation. He had, he was making a choice in that he's saying, you got to go because Isaac is the one and God has told me Isaac's the one. So in a form, in some way, it, I'm sure it felt like rejection to Ishmael. Sure. Yeah. Now, the symbolism of Isaac and Ishmael is mentioned again in the New Testament in Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Why don't you read that? Because this I didn't understand this until I married this to this story. So read that for us, Heather. Galatians 4, verse 28. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is kind of a harsh comparison, but what God is saying here is there's two modes of religious life today. Ishmael was born of human effort. He is that born of the flesh. And it's a type of people who think they can serve God in their own way, but only their, but by their own effort. That's kind of that born of the flesh part. Isaac represents the person who recognized that by himself in his fallen nature, he can do no good thing born of the spirit. So Galatians is kind of re- referring back to Isaac and Ishmael as these two tracks that you can get on. And God has chosen this born of the spirit. Yeah. And we've talked about this before, but this is why it is so important to study the stories in the Old Testament, because mm-hmm. if not, when you're reading the New Testament, you will not understand what they're talking right. about. Oh gosh, I know I've read Galatians so many times and never like put it back to the Isaac Ishmael thing, even though they clearly say like Isaac and like Ishmael. And and certainly the Jews understood all of this mm-hmm. because this was their history that they mm-hmm. studied and learned. Exactly. And that's why they were using that as an example. Yeah. All right, our final scene brings us back to Abimelech. Verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now, swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know 
who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs of the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hands as a witness that I dug this well, so that the place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. So yada, 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 they have this little squabble over a well and this, that, and the other, and it sounds like nothing. But just so you can see, there's never nothing in every word we read in the Bible. Mm. Let's just, this is about restitution and a treaty between these two. And just compare a little bit. In chapter 20, Abimelech took something of Abraham's. He took Sarah, but it was Abraham's fault. In chapter 21, Abimelech's servant took the well that belonged to Abraham. So a little flip there. In chapter 20, Abimelech gave Abraham sheep and cattle when he left him. Here, here, sheep and cattle, get out of here. <laughs> In chapter 21, Abraham gives, gives it back. <laughs> Abimelech sheep and cattle. In chapter 20, Abimelech gives a thousand shekels to Abraham to cover his offense to Sarah like a reverse bride price. In chapter 21, Abraham gives seven lambs to Abimelech to signify the well belongs to him. Abraham agrees not to deal falsely with Abimelech. Abimelech agrees to his ownership of the well and the right to live here. Okay, so all of a sudden, remember, we're in Philistia. This is the promised land. This is Abimelech who owns property in the promised land, allowing Abraham to pay for a piece of it. Then Abraham plants a tree at Beersheba. Now, it's not just any tree. It's a tamarisk tree. Why would we really care? Like, why is that so important to put in the Bible? Well, of course, there's always some symbolism. The tree and this this planting of this tree and the planting of the name of God, Abimelech believes in God now, is, is going to grow. So think about this. We started this book with trees, the tree of, of, of life and of the knowledge of good and evil. And remember, they were kicked out away from that tree. Well, tamarisk trees are are super slow growing, but they grow very, very large. And so they like to, they like them to be planted because the area doesn't have a lot of like shade. And so they provide a lot of shade. You don't plant a tamarisk tree for yourself. You're never going to see it get big enough. It's super slow growing. You plant it for generations to come because it's going to be large and they grow slowly like an inch a year, I read, which is nothing. And they live for hundreds of years. 150, I think. Abraham is staking ground by planting the seed in the promised land. He knows he's a hundred years old now or a little bit older. He knows he's probably not going to have this promised land, but he bought a little piece of it from this one ally he found there. And he says, gosh, darn, if I'm not going to plant a tamarisk tree, because somebody's going to reap the benefit of this, my kids are going to reap the benefit of this. And it's almost like he's, he's again putting that altar, you know, how he built stones before and he put it altar. He's like, I'm leaving something behind. So they could remember. He is looking toward the future of God's promise. 
that his people like this tree will grow and inhabit this land. The tree is symbolic to Abraham of providing for his people in the future, just as the tree of life provided in the Garden of Eden. You can eat from any tree, eat from the tree of life all you want. Abimelech and others also are beginning to recognize God's hand on Abraham. Those other kings did. Word is getting out. This man, he's got a spirit behind him, God, who's making stuff happen. And Abimelech's the first one that says, well, I'm getting behind that. I believe. And he sells him this little plot, which is the first little, this well that he owns is the first kind of stake in there. And he plants a tree, which again, they're trying to get back to paradise. They know that story and they know that they they need God as providing that life. And isn't this Beersheba the same place where some of his descendants, yes. David, there's going to be a big Lots story about that coming up. So he actually does get to see his yes. descendants have interesting yeah. times here. Yeah. Well, we hope that you can see that God keeps his promises and we hope that you see the evidence of that in your life as well. So the question for you today is, what promise has God given you and where do you need to have faith? that he is going to keep it. I'm going to go plant a tree. (laughs) What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.